Thank you all for tuning in. This is Selena and Iman. Together we make you plus happy. Each week we bring you someone who challenges us to define success and happiness on our own terms with a dose of laughter. Remember to like and subscribe at you plus happy. You can also follow us on Instagram at you plus happy. Hey, Selena. Hi. Hi. Good. Um, it's warming up out here, so I'm happy. That's nice. Why do you have a sweater on? It's not a sweater. It's like just short sleeve. Okay. <laughs> um, how was your week? It was good. How was yours? What happened? Give us the lowdown. Um, my week was busy, but I had um so we're short-staffed at my job. So we've all just kind of been pitching in wherever needed. So I've been transporting um, these three siblings back and forth, like to and from school. And I've been trying to like engage them because they're young and just talk to them. And they're just like, I don't want to talk to you. So I'm like, all right, whatever. Um, and I said something, I think I was like, oh, do you guys want some water? And one of the girls is like, wait, are you American? Because apparently they say water different out here. And I was like, I am. And that was just the opening. And they asked me all these questions about America. They're like, have you been to Disneyland and Disney World? Have you had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? What does it taste like? Um, and they were just so interested in American culture. And I was like, dang, all I had to do was say I was American. But it was super cute because they had lots of questions. Um, one of them was like, have you ever been in a school shooting? I was like, oh, that's sad. Wow. That's what they think about America. And I was like, no, I have not. Um, but it was just outside of that. It was cute that it was just wow. all the things that they had seen on TV. They were had a million questions for me. So that was my highlight and my little cute moment and my breakthrough. Because after that, they just started talking to me during technology. friends. Strangely mm -hmm. enough, I wouldn't have told them this. I haven't been in a school shooting, but I've been in two regular shootings, whatever that is. <laughs> I mean, I haven't experienced that either, but. I was like, dang, they really be shooting out here. Huh? And it was in two different states. So they do be shooting out here. They do. Um, and I'm not even, in, I'm not in that life. And I was in two shootings. Um, how do they say I am, I am thug. And I've been saying that, <laughs> believes me. No. Um, uh, how do they say water? See, I don't really, so the guy at work was saying, I think they say A, like water. And we say water, like we pronounce water. our R. Like water. 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 <laughs> All right, I wanna hear, I'm gonna have to watch like an Australian show. I don't notice it, but I feel like people obviously notice it with me because I sound different. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was my that was my highlight of the week. Okay. <laughs> what about you? I felt like some stuff happened. I don't know. It's more of the same, but this is silly. But I got a new toothbrush, and mm -hmm. I've been so like tooth. What are those like electric toothbrush? I'm like that's dumb like no one needs that I'm old school I'm gonna use a manual toothbrush faux life and then um 
they had the electric one like right next to the man like I guess it's called manual one and um mm-hmm. it was it was like almost the same price I was like all right I'll try it even though I think this is bs so I tried it it's changed my life already <laughs> it's like it's been like a week. My teeth have gotten no plaque. This is this one's supposed to be for plaque because I I do mm-hmm. mouthwash, I floss all that, but I still felt like at the end of the day I would have like some plaque on my teeth. None, not one piece of plaque detected. <laughs> my mouth feels cleaner. Ew, not to say I was gross before. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but I would brush my teeth like probably three times a day like in the morning because I work from home so and then like after I got off work and then at night but now it's like I'm not it's just twice a day now it's amazing upgrading I know that's not my highlight that's not the highlight that's what I wanted to share first of all (laughs) (laughs) ma'am there was a lot of things popping but this is the most important for the listeners. Yes. Y'all clearly. don't even know my business, my real highlights all, every week. <gasps> That's what I could share with you plus Abby. All right. <laughs> all right. So this week we have Mira Jolie on. She is a life coach. She's a Los Angeles-based and internationally recognized life coach, business mentor, podcast host, and influencer among sex industry professionals. Mira's work centers around supporting her clients to enter or exit the sex industry and thrive while still in it. Her approach acknowledges the stigma, double life, and social isolation workers face, as well as the complex legalities of the industry. Mira leads and facilitates a collaborative community for her clients and to receive report, leveling up financially and or transitioning out of the business if they choose. Mira has been featured on NPR and Fusion Network, sharing her unique story of her experience as a sex industry and Huffington Post calls her an inspirational woman. To learn more about Mira's services, Tune in to All My Heroes Are Hoes, I love that name, podcast to join her or join her online community on Facebook. She can be contacted on her website, which is lifecoachforsexworkers.com. So without further ado, Mira. Hi, Iman. It's Mira. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Hi. Hi. So this is my co-host and friend, Selena. Hello. Hi, nice to meet you both. Or actually, I know Iman, but Selena, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. Um, so just the first question is, how did you get started with life coaching? I spent most of my 20s trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, looking back, I can say that I'm a multi-passionate person and I was never one thing I was meant to do with my life. But in my 20s, that was the the wisdom of the time. And I really believe that I had to figure it out and I, need, I needed to know it by the time I turned 30 and I needed to be married and have a family and do all those things that it feels like you're supposed to have figured out by the time you turn 30. And along my own journey of going to therapy and working with life coaches and going to seminars and retreats and just really doing my own personal growth work, 
I realized that I have a natural capacity for either counseling or um, coaching as a profession. So it was right around my 30th birthday that I got my life coaching certification. And I've been practicing as a life coach now for about eight years. What was the, was there a turning point where you realized you needed to take a different path than what was expected of you? Oh, definitely. So I grew up in a working class family and there was a couple paths that people would normally take from that upbringing. You'd either join the military or you'd uh, go to school for some kind of trade. Um, or in, in the case of being a woman, you might just get married and, and raise kids. And I didn't really want to do any of those things, but that would be sort of me following in the footsteps of my family. Uh, I took night classes and went to school while I worked after high school and pursued business administration thinking, well, that's generic enough that I could take it anywhere, but I still didn't quite know what I wanted. I ended up in corporate sales and marketing. And uh, at the time it was in the advertising industry. These, these businesses have kind of died. We're no longer really using yellow pages the way we were at the time, but I was in the yellow pages industry and I was in the newspaper industry. And I feel like all things digital have kind of taken over those two worlds, but at the time it was really good money. So I was, you know, making 50 K at the age of 22. And I felt pretty good about it with, with a, a working class background and, and a lower income uh, expected of me at least. And I did okay until I realized that I am kind of psychologically unemployable. I don't like working for other people and I don't like being told when I can take a vacation. As far as I'm concerned, I am renting my life to you as the employer. And it should be kind of the other way around. Like I'm going to let you know when I'm not available. It just felt like a form of um, control and ownership that didn't work for me. And so I spent the next few years in my mid twenties trying to figure out how to get out of corporate America and start a business without knowing exactly what that business would be. And just feeling really disillusioned by like, this is all there is. So I, I jumped through all these hoops and I did all these things and I, yeah, I'm successful on paper, but it doesn't feel like something I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. So the big pivot was that I left a corporate job to go become a stripper. And that's not something most people would make a decision to do but I was feeling adventurous and I felt like I'm only going to be in my twenties once and I'm young and I'm cute and I can still make mistakes. Now it's expected of me to make mistakes now. So let me just go do those crazy things I've always wanted to do. And I saw it as an opportunity to free up my time. So I wasn't sitting in an office, you know, working that nine to five schedule. All of a sudden I was working nights. I was making really good money and I had my days to myself to figure out what I wanted to do. And around that time I launched a, uh, an event production company and I taught myself graphic design and I had a side hustle as a graphic designer. And I was just sort of doing a lot of things. I had my fingers in a lot of different uh, industries and I was enjoying it, but it still wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. It was just sort of me having fun with exploring and trying different things. So that's the short story. <laughs> There's a longer one, but those are some of the things I got into prior to becoming a life coach. When how when did you know like you said for women um when you were young like some of the uh, expectation was oh you can just get married and have kids there's nothing wrong with that but how did you know that wasn't for you yeah there is nothing wrong with that I want to I want to make sure I'm clear about that because that is absolutely valid for people that want that I 
So I came out of the closet as a lesbian when I was about 17. Today, I identify as queer, which to me is a little more flexible. It's not just that I only date women. I also date non-binary folks and people across the gender spectrum. But um, at the time, I didn't see a future of me getting married and having children. I know that it was possible, but it requires a lot of fertility treatments. And there's just all these other you know, things. I guess I just, I looked up to some feminist icons of the time. One of my biggest role models was Ani DeFranco. She's a folk singer and a feminist and uh, very social justice minded and happened to be queer as well. And I, I was looking for people like her to, to see that there was another way to, to live my life because the examples I had were, were really the ones that I listed, join the military, learn a trade, um, or, you know, stay home and be a mom. Um, so I think the queerness has me thinking differently about my choices in the first place, because it's already counterculture. It's already different than the mainstream. And so if I'm already going to be different in that way, what other ways can I, can I choose to live differently? And I just found that I was more drawn to the concept of being a career woman and an entrepreneur. And so far it has served me well. I'm just curious, like the jump from corporate America to stripping, was there like interest before that? Like, how did you move from such kind of? Oh, yeah, that is kind of a, a mystery, huh? Um, when I started going out to nightclubs between 18 and 21, at the time I was in um, Jacksonville, Florida, and a lot of the nightclubs would let you go in at 18. They would just put a big black X on your hand and you couldn't drink. So I got exposed to the nightlife world, I guess, younger than you do in some states. It depends on what the laws are. And I saw go-go dancers. And I mean, you can't go to a nightclub without seeing a go-go dancer. And I remember looking at them and just being like, wow, they're so beautiful and they're so confident. And I, I didn't know it at the time, but I was noticing the, um, in hindsight that I had an exhibitionist streak, that I liked to be on stage and seen and the center of attention, but I also like the idea of being kind of untouchable. So a go-go dancer, you know, maybe you're going to go up and put a little tip in their, in their um, fishnets or something or in their belts, but it's not, they're sort of up there being the beautiful magical creatures they are, but you're not really touching them. And I liked that idea of being seen, but not being touched. And it was over the next few years that I started to kind of figuring out, could I do that? Could I just do that for fun? And I did end up getting hired to go-go dance. And that was sort of the taster or the gateway drug um, to dancing. And I'll never forget, I was out on Halloween one year. I think it was probably 2006 in Portland, Oregon, because at the time I had, I had moved across the country to Portland. And a couple of really cute girls were out at this, this bar that we were hanging out at. And I met, you know, I made some new friends and I was, I was like, you guys are so cool. What do you do for a living? And they were like, oh, we're strippers at Sassy's. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. You are? Because they just seemed like regular girls to me. They didn't seem like my stereotypes of what strippers are. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I can you I tell me everything actually. Um, so it started there where I just got so curious. I was already curious from a go-go dancing standpoint, but I didn't know if I had the guts to take the next step, which means you know, taking off your clothes and maybe interacting a little more intimately with people. And so it was because of their example that I asked some questions and I started going to the clubs to check them out and see what I thought. And because I'm attracted to women, it was a pretty pleasant, you know, experience for me. It was fun. I could see it as a, a purely social thing to do. Then 
at some point I just got disillusioned with my, my day job. And I was like, you know what? I'm already dancing on, on go-go blocks in nightclubs. It's not that much of a leap. I have a sales background. I had a corporate sales and marketing background. I knew how to market and brand myself. And I knew that I could sell, even if it's an unconventional form of selling, you're selling lap dances instead of advertising, but it's still sales. Um, so I took that mindset and I auditioned one night. I think it was like a Sunday night. I was shaking in my heels <laughs> and I didn't know if I actually would get hired because I feel like I have more of a, a thin wafy supermodel body than a, than a jiggly, sexy, you know, stripper body, you know, whatever we think of a stripper body as, um, and I got booked anyway. And my mind was kind of blown, but I was excited and I was nervous. And so I started working a couple of nights a week in addition to my nine to five day job. And I was exhausted and my knees were bruised and I was also thrilled and invigorated and excited and making hundreds of dollars on my off days. Um, and eventually I just realized that I would rather be doing that than, than working my cubicle job. So I, I took the leap. I love how like throughout your story, it just seems like you are just very open to just trying things out and just kind of going with it and seeing what happens. Um, Thank you. That. Yeah. I've always really believed that. And this is the result of going to lots of seminars and reading lots of personal growth books. I've always really believed that getting outside of our comfort zone is where the magic happens. And that if I stay in my comfort zone, nothing particularly interesting is going to happen in my life, but the growth will come when I get uncomfortable. And it has always proven to be, you know, maybe not the most socially acceptable decisions that I've made, but I'm, if I can sleep on the pillow at night and feel good about the choices I'm making, that's what really matters to me. And one of my role models, RuPaul, will say, if they ain't paying your bills, pay them bitches no mind. Mm -hmm. And really, basically, if you have an opinion about me, unless you're paying my bills, it doesn't actually matter to me. So I've been able to kind of move forward with a lot of radical decisions from that standpoint. I guess just along those lines, what have been, some of the, um, I guess, one of the biggest challenges that you've faced in your journey and how did you push through that? Mm -hmm. I have a couple. It's hard to actually pinpoint which one I want to give you. I'm going to give you two um, and I'm going to focus on the more recent one. So the first big challenge was overcoming a period of suicidal depression in my life. Uh, this was the convergence of knowing that what I was doing with my career wasn't my ultimate highest um, expression. Uh, I was in an emotionally abusive romantic relationship and I had kind of socially isolated myself because that, that kind of goes hand in hand with bad relationships. And I also uh, was feeling really seasonally depressed because Portland's weather started to be a little much for my system. And I didn't see all of that coming, but it all added up to um, numbing out with drugs and alcohol and really isolating myself and having very scary suicidal ideation. I'm sorry, trigger warning. Um, and it was that period that prompted me to move from Portland to Los Angeles, where I live now, and really solidified my decision to do all the personal growth work that I've done that set me up to be a life coach. And then around the time that I um, launched my life coaching practice, I met a new partner who ended up being someone I stayed with for about eight years. We had a wedding ceremony, but not a wedding on paper. And it was a very, very serious relationship. 
that relationship unfortunately came to an end right before the 2020 pandemic. And it was pretty devastating for me. I'll say that was a huge turning point in me questioning everything that I thought I wanted in my life. So it was in the growth of healing from that, I'll call it a divorce because whether or not there's a contract is irrelevant. It felt like a marriage to me. Um, I committed my, to being polyamorous after that relationship. I'd already experimented with open relationships, but I really committed to polyamory being my, my relationship style after that. Um, and I wrote a relationship manual to describe who I am and how I love and what my sort of proper care and feeding would be if you were to need a manual for how to love me. Um, and I found that really empowering. Um, and so those were some of the things that I did to heal from that relationship, but there's been a lot of other changes that have happened post letting go of that dynamic. Um, a big one has been giving myself permission to be as me as I want to be and not trying to fit myself into a relationship just because I care about someone. I think that's really common with a lot of people is we find someone we're really into. We might notice there's a few mismatches or like orange flags in, the, in there, but we're like, oh no, it's fine because I really like this person. So I'm going to be who they want me to be so that I can stay in this relationship. And I found out the hard way that that does not work. <laughs> That's the equivalent of ignoring your intuition. So after that relationship, I decided I'm going to be as radically me and as weird and wonderful as I am. And the people who I'm meant to date are going to love that. And the people that I'm not meant to date are not going to, you know, they're not going to be drawn to me. And that's, that's where I want to find my authentic relationships. Um, so after the divorce, I put all of my stuff in storage and I decided to be a nomad for 12 months. So I traveled all over the U S visiting with different friends and family, basically just kind of couch surfing and, and spare bedroom surfing with, with people that I care about that I hadn't seen in a while. And I didn't know at the time that I was going to be in the middle of a global pandemic, but that happened. So all my stuff's in storage in December. And then in March, we all locked down. And so I had to make some adjustments, but it was such a powerful a way to kind of reaffirm this adage that many of you have probably heard, wherever you go, there you are. Mm -hmm. Have you heard this one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 We so like... <laughs> plant, plant myself in a new environment. And I'm still me plant myself in another new environment. And I'm still me. So I was able to use all that contrast to really find out who I was and what I wanted and checking in with old family members and stuff to kind of get that contrast from them too. And have them tell me, you know, what their experience of me was. And it was just a powerful year of transformation. And I've come out on the other side, having rebranded my life coaching practice to be even more authentically me and, um, you know, found another relationship that is the healthiest, most aligned, most incredible soulmate connection I've ever had. Um, and I'm just, I'm just delighted and happy. And, and it was, it was the most painful thing I've ever done to leave that relationship. And it was also the most rewarding thing. Yeah. I have a lot of follow-up questions. I mean, <laughs> same. Um, a lot in there. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, if, if this can be a quick one real quick, because you touched on um, yeah. emotionally abusive relationships in that. And mm -hmm. um, I think we hear that a lot, but they can be um, as hard to leave as any other. How, anyway, how did you get out of it? How did you leave that one? I know that's not the most, the, one, the main, the eight. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I can answer whatever question you want. That was about a four-year relationship and it got to where it was like, I could have no 
personal time to myself, if I even just wanted to take a walk and not invite my partner, there would be a whole fight about it. Yeah. And I'm an introvert and I need alone time. And that's where we, you know, that's where we're able to ground ourselves and find our truth. And I just, I felt smothered. Um, and in looking back, I can see that it was an attachment style problem where my partner was an anxiously attached individual and I was an avoidantly attached individual. And so those two often are magnetized to each other. And there's this push pull thing that happens. Um, and, you know, both of us were just really unhealed. We hadn't done as much of the therapy as I've done now. Looking back, I have so many more tools. So um, I chose a very unusual route to leave that relationship. Uh, I moved her with me to the new city because we both wanted to be in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But we both kind of also knew the relationship was on the fritz and it probably wasn't going to make it. So we were kind of realistic about the possibility that the move would break us up. And it did. And even though, you know, like our, our last interaction before we went no contact was kind of a yelling, screaming, wrist grabbing, I'm going to call the cops kind of thing. Unfortunately, that's what it looked like. I kept my boundary of no contact and I tried my best just to focus on my own healing. Um, the partner ended up moving back to Portland and I ended up staying in Los Angeles and we are on decent contact terms. Now it took several years, but we were able to check in and, and kind of level about it and realize that we were just two unhealed individuals who were taking our shit out on each other. And so I don't, I don't say that she or I were the necessarily the abuser in the situation, but that it was just unhealthy in general. And, um, yeah. I'm, I'm happy that she's happy. And I think there's a real mutual care there. Yeah. I have a, um, a friend who said, uh, a lot of times people get in relationships to cope with, like, it's a coping. You're not even realizing that you're just coping with life together. You're both, Mm -hmm. like you said, very unhealed and you're just escaping all that Mm -hmm. in each other. And, um, so I think that sounds similar to that sort of situation. And my other follow-up question real quick is, uh, we hear polyamory. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is it to you? Like, I, I don't, I think all of us have this like misconstrued idea of it looking from the outside in. Yeah. Yeah. So we understand monogamy to be kind of the default in society. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that we understand heterosexuality to be the default in society, you're supposed to be a man who marries a woman and you're supposed to be exclusive forever and buy houses and have babies and live happily ever after. So if we were to erase that whole script and decide that we could design relationships the way we want them to work, how would we design them? If that, if that model just didn't exist and we all made up our own rules to me, that's what polyamory is, mm-hmm. which is to say that. Sometimes we form connections with people that are really unique and intimate, whether or not they're sexual, but in a monogamous framework, it is forbidden to explore or, or deepen that type of dynamic. As soon as you notice something like that's happening, you cut it off and you look the other direction you put on blinders. But to me, that is robbing myself of the depth of human experience and connection. If I don't allow those dynamics to, to flow where they may, um, and it doesn't take away from the relationship I have with one person, if I deepen the relationship with another person, just like we don't, we don't, you know, if we love one parent, 
it doesn't mean we don't love the other parent. If we love one sibling, it doesn't mean we don't love the other sibling. And I'm not saying it, there's no crossover here with dating our family. Right. I'm just referring to love. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can love many people. We love our friends. We love our family. We love all these different individuals in our lives, but it's only when it becomes romantic love that we make it restrictive. Mm. So what if we stopped restricting romantic love and we allowed connections to develop in whatever way we wanted them to, and we made our own rules. To me, that's what polyamory is. I love the way you explain that. And also what it sounds like though, is it would take, it takes so much courage, first of all, because you're going against society's norms, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. and then also Mm -hmm. um, knowing yourself and being, that takes so much as an individual. Do you know what? Because that takes a lot of independence, I feel like, and, and just walking away from you you would get kicked out of some circles, you know, and, and yeah. that takes courage and strength. Thank you. Yeah. I think having grown up and having to face my sexual orientation really young kind of mm-hmm. set me up to be prepared for, well, I'm just different. And I now am kind of like, every time I discover a new thing about me, that's different. I'm like, well, okay. What I've learned is that when I tell people who I am authentically, the right people are drawn to me and the wrong people are repelled from me. But yes, there is a social consequence. Some people are just not going to understand and you're going to lose them. And there is real grief involved in that. Um, and then in the place of the people that you lose, you gain this incredible community of like-minded people. So I've always found that it's ultimately rewarding. And what you share with that new community is a is a sort of group trauma. All of us have lost someone as a result of making this alternative decision and it's worth it. Um, so in my relationship, it, what it looks like is I have a, a partner that I live with who I think of as a soulmate and an anchor and a constant in my life. Um, I don't imagine that she's going anywhere. And I have a couple of de- very deep intimate friendships with people that I don't know what to call them. They're not exactly romantic, but they're not exactly not. They're kind of squishy. That's my best way of describing it. It's sweet. Um, There's a lot of kissing or cuddling or making out or, um, you know, hot tubbing or watching movies. And and it's it's like dating these friends, except there is not an expectation that one day we're going to escalate to some sort of forever and ever exclusivity. There's just an understanding that we really enjoy each other's company as it is. And it's beautiful and it, and it gets to be whatever it is without it needing to look a certain way. And, uh, I think that's probably the way I'm going to continue to do my polyamory. I have a partner that I get most of my deep emotional needs and domestic life things settled with. And then I have other people that I just allow dynamics to develop with, um, within the boundaries of finite time, because we all have 24 hours in a day. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and everyone does it differently. Some people live in groups with multiple partners. Some people refuse to live with a partner ever, and they just have different people they care about and they are sort of their own solo unit. Um, And it's been really cool to know that I can change my mind and evolve and develop relationships how I want to. And um, that is my happy. Yeah. It sounds like, so I was listening to a podcast um, probably about a week ago and they were talking about just relationships and um, a lot of times when relationships end or there's a divorce, it's because of unmet expectations. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like in just like the polyamorous, at least polyamorous I can't say that you got it (laughs) Um, (laughs) that 
your approach is there isn't really much expectations. It's more of like, um, this is how I feel and this is what makes me happy. And I'm just kind of going with the flow. Yeah. Um, I just love that idea of kind of removing and I'm guilty of this too. Like when I'm dating someone, there's these expectations and if they don't meet them, Selena knows, I'm kind of like, mm, nope, it's not going to work out. Um, but I mm-hmm. love that idea of just being open and letting things, I guess, develop as they do. Yeah. Um, but I did have a question earlier. You mentioned um, that during your, when you had your last breakup that you did like a, um, a journal or a guide of how you want to be loved. And I love that concept because I think a lot of times we just kind of accept whatever is available or whatever comes in mm-hmm. our past. What was that process like? Like, how did you get started? And like, what does that look like? Yeah. So one of lists. sorry, that superficial list is like, they have to be five, four and they have, you know what I mean? So you have to like, mm-hmm. this is like way more important. All right, go ahead. Sarah. It, it's yeah. so completely different. This is actually yeah. like, this is who I am and this is how I operate. And these are my boundaries and these are my values. These are my, um, you know, what I'm available for and what I'm not, what my deal breakers are. Uh, I call that my hell yes. And my hell no list. Um, and it's just kind of me saying like on paper, this is what you need to know about me if you're going to choose to get romantically involved with me. And as long as you go in knowing that this is who I am and this is how I do relationships, then you know what you're opting into. And I wish we all did this. I think it would make every relationship so much easier if there were no questions about like, how do I, how do I make this work? Um, and it also eliminates a, a mismatch in values early on. Because I think a, a big challenge for polyamorous people, especially, but this this could be true for any type of relationship, is um, dating people that don't don't match you in some way. So with poly people, we tend to you know be open in our dynamics, but we might have someone fall in love with us who is more closed in their dynamic preferences, but they make an exception just for us. They're like, well, I'm really monogamous, but I like you, so maybe I'll lean in and try it. But then we end up getting our heart broken because they they realize that that's still not for them. And so um, I think just being clear up front with people lets everybody consent to and create the relationship that works best for them. Um, and I'm happy to share a link to my manual with the two of you. Um, and if someone were to reach out to me on social media from this podcast episode and say, hey, can I see your manual? I would, I would gladly share it because I just kind of want to to preach the the good news of the fact that we can um, write these things down and share it with people and be that transparent. Yeah. I I have one more about about, uh, polyamory because I haven't spoken to anyone who, um, who that, who, I don't know how to word it, but I haven't spoken to anyone who practices polyamory. And then what do you think, this might be too much of a question, but what do you think about people who, um, what do you think that comes from someone who's like, I could never, um, they can't, like, cause I like your example of you can love more than one person. Like you don't have to just love one person. You have a lot of love to give, not just you, but all of us, we all mm-hmm. love more than yeah. one person. So what yeah. do you think that stems from? Then, like I said, if this is too much, I understand, but what do you think that stems from where it's like, when it comes to this type of love, only I only want it from you you only give it to me and that's it and it's like mm-hmm. this, you know what I mean like I'm not condemning either side but it's it does sound that I never thought about it in that way like does that make sense yeah it's the only type of love that we put rules and restrictions right on. and say only one person yeah 
uh-huh only one person can love you like this you can you know you can have family love you can have friend love but you can't have any other type of romantic love um where do i think it comes from well there is a book called sex at dawn that goes into the historical understanding of how um homo sapiens developed relationships and sexuality and you'll actually see that historically most human uh communities most cultures have been polyamorous up until the invention of property ownership and when property ownership began to be a thing marriage began to become a thing and when marriage became a thing um inheritance uh means that if we're going to pass down generational wealth the men t- typically needed to know that who they're passing their their wealth and their property down to is their actual offspring so it polyamory would be a threat to that and a challenge to that so it really it's complicated and not not kind of an inconvenient truth to look at it and actually realize that it was about controlling women um that monogamy was was developed monogamy is actually a construct um but i'm going to try to zoom out a little bit and come back to something that's really relatable which is attachment styles which i talked about briefly mm-hmm. um it's a ther- it's a concept that you'll hear about when you talk to a therapist about relationships and it has to do with how we were raised and how we were loved when we were raised and the way that we um relate as adults based on the experiences we had as children and the more insecurely attached we are from childhood the more likely we are to find safety in monogamy because we don't feel that there's like a constant threat to our love, if that makes sense. Um, and it seems that the more securely attached we are, the more open we might be to different forms of love and love styles um, and openness because it doesn't feel like as much of a threat if someone loves someone else and loves us. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you one more book recommendation for those who are listening um, that's kind of adjacent to this and uh, actually two. One is called Polysecure and it's an examination of polyamory and attachment styles, but it's relevant to any relationship style and I do recommend it to monogamous people because it's just such a, a educational deep dive into attachment. And then there's a TED talk and a book that goes with it called Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel. And she talks a lot about sort of the history of monogamy and how it formed and why it works and why it doesn't work. And um, I just want to disclaim all of this to say that every relationship style is valid and it doesn't make anyone better or worse or, you know, more evolved if they make uh, one choice or another. It's just what works for us. So you find what works for you and I support it. Yeah. And I love the idea of even, but just even exploring who you are and finding out what really works for you. I think we have so many problems mm-hmm. um, with relationships and divorce rates and all this, because we're getting into them on the, like, we're not giving it a lot of thought, right? Like I said, yes. it's superficial thought. And we're just going with what, you know, what we, what, we didn't even think about what we've been fed, right? And we're just like, so so this person has to have X, Y, Z, make this much money. And then that's how this, but that doesn't, I think that's why we we don't we have such problems with relationships and them lasting. Yeah. We're not yeah. If we if we never question the script, 
Yeah. And we just assume that everyone's on board with the same script and we never actually deep dive into that and ask like, does this work for you? Because we know that infidelity is a problem. Yeah. And if that's, if that's the, the rule that we expect everyone to follow, well, we're not actually biologically, historically good at that. It's a, it's a thing that we've developed, but it's not necessarily a thing that we're naturally good at. And I think that's why there is so much infidelity because we try to follow this rule, but it doesn't necessarily come easily. And even what you said about um, how to love you values, you know, it's so funny. I was just reading this book, um, uh, the Dalai Lama about joy, but he was saying how we don't have our, we don't know what our values are. So that's another thing. Mm -hmm. You haven't explored your values and then you're getting in a relationship. You don't know their values. And then, oh, we don't align. Uh, No kid, Y'all don't even know yourselves. Like, how are you going to, how is this going to work? Oh my gosh. Yes. So I love There has to be. Exactly. There's got to be physical alignment. Of course, you've got to know that you're attracted to and compatible with someone on that level, but there's spiritual alignment, there's intellectual alignment, there's lifestyle alignment, you know, like how you eat, how you sleep, what hours you keep, there's love language alignment, there's just so many different ways. And then values, like, are you someone who values achievement and going after that keeping up with the Joneses life? Or someone, are you someone who values like an eco-conscious lifestyle and you care about social justice and you're going to be out in the streets protesting? Um, are you someone who's more likely to live that spiritual life where everything is focused on your higher power? I mean, all of those things matter. And if you're in two different places, it's eventually going to, it's going to be a mess. It's not going to work. Um, and you can't change anyone. So you want to find somebody to be with that you don't want to change who you love them for exactly who they are, because the alignment is just easy and natural. And you don't want to try to change to fit them because then you're stuck. Exactly. And you're miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I found out the hard way that does not work. No, nope, it's, it's miserable. <laughs> we, I think we've all been yeah. there a time or two. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I think too, just in within the relationship, um, also being open to relationships are going to change over time. So I know that like just personally, I've gone into relationships where there's this expectation and things are aligned and then at some point they weren't and it's mm-hmm. like having the ability to be like okay well this is what I'm really interested in this is something that I value now and yeah. being open enough to say like all right are we still on the same page because I think sometimes we go into relationships and we're just like nope this is how it is and this is how it always needs to be yeah but I think being yeah open to that change and you know going with the flow <laughs> I agree. I think it's completely unnatural to think that relationships don't change when the only constant in our life is change. Everything Mm -hmm. is always changing around us. Everything is always changing within us. Then why wouldn't our relationships evolve and change with us too? Um, I love that. I forget which one of you it was that mentioned the joy book. Was that the one where the interview is between uh, Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu? Um, Is it the archbishop, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm only on page 34. So that's why I was like, is that, is that his name? I don't want to say yes. Yeah. I'm that's, right yeah. That's on my, it's on my reading list. I'm, I'm glad to hear. Are you liking it? I love it so far. I only put Good. it down because I had to record today. Otherwise I would not, nice. it's like a page turner. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I think that they are some of the more evolved humans um, on earth right now. And I think there's so much to learn about from that perspective that we're all kind of growing and evolving and if we allow our relationships to be um, a tool for that growth and, and evolution and not forcing them to look a certain way and not even forcing them to always, you know, I just think this idea of forever and ever is not realistic either. 
it's, it's nice. And I hope that everyone can have a lifelong relationship, but if we've grown out of someone or they've grown out of us and we force it to stay in this holding pattern, then everyone's being held back. And I just think that the point of, of life here is to grow and evolve and, and, you know, become better and, and more aligned and more aware of who we are. And if we're stuck in a holding pattern in a relationship that we've outgrown, then that's, that doesn't serve us either. So I guess the message here is to just figure out who you are and give yourself permission to be all of that and choose people who, who are where you are in, in growth and maybe pacing at a similar pace to the growth that you're the path that you're on. Yeah. It seems like, um, I don't know. And correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like you have done a lot of work around just being your true authentic self. And even like at 17 coming out and being like, this is who I am. Um, what has been your biggest kind of motivation up until this point? Mm, great question. And thank you for that reflection. I do feel that that is, that is my way of being. Um, I remember when I was about 20, I sat down and I wrote down a list of goals for all the things I wanted to accomplish by the time I was 30. And I almost had it broken down by the month. Like I had a goal for every month for the next 10 years of my life, which you probably know by now is unrealistic and (laughs) impossible. Like that's just not how that goes. (laughs) It's not how that works. Um, But I was optimistic and I was like, this is how my life's going to work. And over the years, I've just realized that I, I have a certain amount of control of my life, but then there's also this beautiful element of, of surprise and spontaneity and intuition and like inner guidance that I, I didn't know when I was 20, what 25 year old me would want. And I didn't know what 25, what 30 year old me would want. And you can keep, keep on with that pattern. There's just, the evolution is so interesting and unpredictable. So for me, it's always been as soon as I realized that that, that 10 year plan was unrealistic, I had a couple of situations where I was like, Oh, and, and I, oop, <laughs> that's not what I thought was going to happen. Um, I've just started to trust that those, those, um, those forks in the road and those curveballs are actually the magic of life. And if I just roll with it and I trust it, that things are going to turn out more amazingly than I could have imagined on my own. And some people would say that that's, you know, that's God at work, or that's your relationship with the spirit or the higher power or whatever you believe in. Um, and I'm on board with that idea that, that there is a, there's something else we're working with. That's not just our own, our own will to make it look a certain way, but there's also an element of magic and surprise. So I just keep leaning into whatever my heart is, is calling me to do whatever that desire is, even if society has opinions, because their society will always have an opinion about it. Um, and there's all these memes on social media that are like, if you're a woman who's who wants to be a stay-at-home wife, someone's going to tell you that you're lazy. And if you're a woman who wants to be a career woman, someone's going to tell you you're selfish. And if you're too skinny, they're going to call you this. And if you're too fat, they're going to call you this. And it kind of doesn't matter what we do. Someone's going to have an opinion. So if we just stop caring what people think and do what our heart's calling us to do, we're going to be as close to alignment with our, our, you know, our, our best life, our happiest life, our bliss as possible. And that's what's, that's, what's been driving me over the last few decades. Mm-hmm. How do you, he, how do you, I know I love it too. How do you hear, how do you hear it? Like what's in your heart? How do you feel it? And how do you cultivate that trust in it? Cause I know we've all had that intuition and then we like, don't trust it. 
<laughs> like I just got a sign, but I'm going to wait for the next sign because that sign wasn't strong enough. <laughs> um, oh man, I've learned that it speaks to me and whispers and nudges and little, little synchronicities. Um, I've learned that what I focus on, I tend to bring more of into my life. So some of it has been intentionally focusing on positive expectation and possibility and, um, you know, abundance and prosperity and, uh, you know, just things working out. Basically there's a, a great YouTube video called everything is working out for me. That was recorded by Esther Hicks, one of my spiritual peeps that I love to follow. And I really, I really affirm that everything is working out for me. And then when I see evidence of everything working out for me, I just kind of follow the breadcrumbs. I'm like, oh, look, there's another piece of evidence and I'm going to keep going that direction. Um, and a lot of it has been mindfulness, which is kind of a buzzword now, but to me, it's just learning how to live in the now and not be caught up in what happened yesterday or what's going to happen tomorrow, but our life is now. And if we're always kind of living for that future point where we're going to be happy, when this happens, I'm going to be happy. Or when that happens, I'm going to be happy. Then you're always living for the future and you're not actually living your life in the now. I even have a tattoo on my wrist that says be here now mm-hmm. as a constant reminder to just be present. And when we're present, we have our best ideas, our best thinking, our most um, attunement to the truth of who we, who we are and what we want. Yeah. I love, like, I feel like um, I've heard that so much in terms of like just being present, being in the now, but it's a lot harder <laughs> done mm-hmm. to actually do that. Um, I know with me, I'm constantly thinking about what needs to happen in the future and like the planning. I'm definitely a planner. So I think that that's a good reminder just to let that go and just, yeah, that's it. Also a member of the obsessive planning committee, as you can tell by my 10 year goal list, um, you know, what's been a really cool resource and I'll pass this on for the listener too. Um, I don't make any money off of mentioning this product. It's just something that I love. There's this little bracelet that I bought um, a few years back. um, And the website is like meaning to pause. And it's like a little beaded bracelet. And on the inside of your wrist is a little vibrating mechanism. And when you power it on, it just vibrates once an hour. That's literally all it does. It's not an iWatch or a Fitbit or anything fancy. It's just a little beaded bracelet with a vibration on the inside of your wrist. So it's not gonna like distract you with notifications. It's just a little little mindfulness buzz. And you decide what you wanna do when it buzzes. It could be say saying a prayer, thinking of something you're grateful for. It could be giving yourself a compliment. It could be you know, putting down whatever you're doing and just looking at the room that you're in and tuning into your senses. It could be anything to get you present to the moment. And I've found that to be so powerful. And lately I've been asking myself when it vibrates, I'm like, was I thinking about the past or the future or was I here now? And I'm just starting to kind of tally up how often am I in the past and how often am I in the future? And I just bring myself back to the now and that happens. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Meaning to pause. Meaning to pause. I love that too. I was um, speaking of mindfulness and trusting, like I say the universe or God or whatever it is. I was walking down the street and I was thinking about something that I'd asked myself to stop thinking about. 
And when it, I was like real deep in it and it was negative and I tripped over the concrete on the, <laughs> like hard, like almost fell. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry, universe. You're right. I did that for that. <laughs> so that was like my buzz. Like, so I, and it was a, like, it does, like we, me and Iman have talked about this. The universe does have your back. I know that's a little different than what you said, but it, it plays into that trust and, um, mm-hmm. and, and really trusting that something will put you on your path if you ask her that and are open to it and listen yeah absolutely and when it looks like something's going wrong sometimes it just means that that thing was not meant for us it's falling away to make space for the next thing and if we're so attached to whatever the thing is that's falling away then we're not making room for that next amazing thing that's coming for us and so it's like it's the buddhists would call it you know the art of non-attachment but every spiritual tradition seems to have some some overlaps in this trusting that whatever's going on is, is okay. Letting it be okay. And knowing that you're always going to be okay, because just like the, you know, the plants and the animals that live on this planet, I don't think they ever, they ever worry about, you know, am I gonna, am I gonna be okay tomorrow? They're just in their life right now and nature provides for them. And I really believe that the world provides for us too, if we let it. Mm, Yeah. Like we, we are nature. We are part of nature and we just forget that sometimes. Mm-hmm. I feel like we had a guest on, um, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but same reference in relation to like nature and just being in the now. And mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I think that's part of why like being in nature for me is so calming because it, it forces you to do that. Um, mm-hmm. just be- present with what's happening so yes yes absolutely and I find that um living in Los Angeles it's a little tricky to find those quiet moments in nature because it's a big city and there's sirens and there's helicopters and there's traffic um so it's it's been important to me over the years to always you know maybe once a week once a month take a weekend and just go get outside the city and and spend that time kind of unplugged yeah um I know you mentioned before we started that you're child free and I'm pretty sure that's my decision that right now how did you come to that conclusion why Mm, this was thank you for the question I feel like um, women everywhere need to be given permission to to make a choice about their fertility that is not based on the script we talked about the script of you know find that person get married have babies live happily ever after mm-hmm. that's not necessarily for everybody and I think if we're giving ourselves permission to, to to design our lives the way that they work best for us and not based on expectations kind of pulling that that reference back from previous in the conversation too um, I tried to want kids. I really did. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I spent most of my twenties not wanting them. And then i I met somebody that I thought maybe I could, I could do that with. And that was the partner of eight years. Mm-hmm. And I tried so hard to want kids and we were, you know, we had a lot of conversations about it. We went through, um, some of the steps to do the foster care, foster to adopt program. And, um, I, I was having second thoughts and I wasn't sure. And, I started joining Facebook groups of child-free people and Facebook groups of parents. (laughs) Um, So I was seeing in my newsfeed sort of the contrasting perspectives of the child-free people and the parents. And over time, I started to just realize, I think I'm more aligned with those child-free people and parenting looks like hell to me. I don't know, but it just doesn't seem like what I'm, what I'm supposed to spend my life doing. That's not my path, this, this go around. Um, 
And unfortunately, that was the thing that I had to confess to my partner, which ultimately led to us separating because I didn't think it was fair to keep going that direction if one of us had to compromise because she really did want want kids. And I don't, I'm not here to to stop anyone from having that um, be a part of their experience if that's what they want. So it was painful. It was a huge, painful decision. I'll be 40 on my next birthday and it's feeling very final now mm-hmm. because biologically it's, it's very unlikely that I would be able to have kids, not only because I don't date men, <laughs> there's that part, but also, <laughs> but also just fertility. Um, and then I guess I could still foster to adopt if I wanted to, but I'm more drawn to mentorship with like a big brother, big sister program, or the LGBT center has a mentorship program as well. So that's, that's kind of the direction I'm, I'm feeling. That, um, what you said about, uh, there's a lot to that, that's, that still goes back to like knowing yourself and exploring things before you make those decisions. But what I love, one, I wanted to mm-hmm. highlight one of the things you said, um, you were going through that process with your partner and you had the integrity and love this person enough to let them go because of your decision. And I think a lot of times, like to me, that's love. I love you enough that I want, I want you to have everything that you desire and everything that you want. And Mm -hmm. I want you to be truly happy. And even if it's with the exception of me, and like, I have yeah. to still be in pain. I love that so much to me. That is real love. And like, I, yeah. Cause it's, I think I've, I've done that like in the beginning, like, oh, I might have a kid knowing full well that I'm not probably going to do that. Like it's like a mm-hmm. 10% chance. And, um, I had to stop doing that. Cause that's not right. It's really not right. Yeah. It's, um, no, it's, it's not fair to the person so, you're dating. And it goes back to what we were saying about changing ourselves to be with someone. Yeah. And it's selfish yep. to me and mm-hmm. that person. So, um, I really do love that. And what you said about even giving someone that thought to think that didn't feel right to me anyway, but I thought I had to do it as a woman growing up. I never met a woman who didn't have children. And when I finally met women, I was like 24. I met these two women who were in their fifties and they'd never had kids. And I was like, wait, what? That's a possibility. Cause back then, even the TV shows, all the women had children. Like there was no 30 and over woman with no kids. Like it just wasn't, I didn't, I didn't even know it was a thing. And when, when I found out I didn't have to do it, I felt so liberated. I was like, oh my God, I have a choice. And so- Yes. Um, Can we just talk about something though? Because Oprah doesn't have kids. We always forget that. That's important. That is true. <laughs> that's an important yeah. note. <laughs> you know what? And she's so many, people, <laughs> so many people look up to her and she's done mm-hmm. what she's done because she didn't have the I don't want to call it a burden, but it is kind of a burden of raising kids. She got to spend her life raising a whole generation of Americans, not just one baby. And uh, and Barbara Walters talked about that. She was like, they sell you this dream of you can have it all. And she was like, me and my daughter, I don't know if it's her biological daughter or not, but she's spoken about their strained relationship because she was so committed to her work. And I think mm-hmm. in between the lines, you can say, I I didn't make the right choice when it came to motherhood. I chose basically mm. chose my career over my child. And for me, I feel like my career would be more important to me. Like I would rather do that than hang out with a kid, but that's not, yeah. that doesn't make me right or wrong. It's just knowing what is mm-hmm. best for you and what's best for that child. Cause the child's going to know. Exactly. Happy, it doesn't, and you don't like it. The kid's going to exactly. know. Exactly. 
it is not fair to bring a child into this world that you don't want. They are going to know it's going to be obvious and you're going to resent them. And that was what I had to face in my decision because I am a very nurturing individual and I do love to help and support, but I'm doing that as a life coach. I'm doing that as kind of a healer in the world. And it's okay if that's how I choose to nurture. I think we can mother in different ways. It doesn't have to be this traditional concept of motherhood. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah, there's other ways to let it show because I'm like mm-hmm. I feel like I'm protective and maternal of my friends and like my family <laughs> yes but I love that I love them and so but I, I yeah I think what's the most important thing um the umbrella under the umbrella of everything you've said today is like knowing who you are exploring it and, and having the courage to pursue what is making you your best self yeah mm-hmm. yeah and I mean YOLO, really, truly, we only live once as far as we know. Right. And what are you doing with that precious time that you have? If you're not doing what makes you happy, if you're not doing what lights you up, that it's your responsibility to create that happiness for yourself. And it's going to look the way it's going to look, but it's probably not going to look traditional unless that's, you know, unless you just happen to align with that path, but it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. And and I I really have enjoyed having an opportunity to to deep dive on this with you. It's not at all where I thought the conversation would go, and it's perfect. Love it. No, it's definitely um like my mind is racing right now, and I have so many thoughts. And just like oh, I need to. I feel like even within the way I handle things, like I need to check things. So I've always been like oh, I'm so open, but in this conversation, I'm like, but am I? Am I really as open? I was um so yeah I love that I feel like you challenged me to rethink some of my thought processes in the way that I like navigate relationships in general oh that's wonderful I love the whole concept of your podcast because you're intentionally talking to people who will challenge your thinking and that's just that's brave that's courageous right there because most people don't enjoy the experience of cognitive dissonance it makes you feel really uncomfortable to, to have your values or your beliefs um, challenged. And so it's amazing that you're doing that. And I'm incredibly honored to get to be a part of it. Thank you. I know we're up, coming up on time. Selena, did you have any other questions? I have a million, but we don't have time. And I would love <laughs> if you came back one day uh, for part two. Yeah, I, I have so... I and I was like trying to keep myself calm, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I know I didn't do a great job. But I still I have a lot more questions. Yeah, and I is- would love to come back anytime. Okay, we have to make this happen for sure. For sure. Um, so we'll close out because we're out of time. Um, did you have anything else to say on this episode? Um, me yeah (laughs) um I will say to the listener um if you are trying to find your happy find the moments where your heart flutters a little bit and you feel both excited and scared at the same time and know that the fear is just a biological response. Like we're programmed with that as cavemen, it's still there. That's like an old brain kind of response, but pushing, cause the fear is really just a smoke screen. It's, it's, it's not real. It's like one of those force fields in a sci-fi movie and you push through it and then it's, you know, it's, it was nothing. So the excitement and 
the fear, when they're combined, that's when you're on the right track and just keep following that feeling, no matter what other people say, as long as you're not hurting anyone. Um, and that's how you'll find you're happy. I love it. It's perfect closing words. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. We'll close out. Thank you, Mira, for sharing your time with us and inspiring our listeners to redefine success for themselves. And of course, thank you listeners. We could not do this without you. Remember to hit like and comment, share this episode. We always want to hear your feedback. You can subscribe at U Plus Happy Podcast. Also available on YouTube and Instagram at U Plus Happy. We'll see you next week. Same time, same place. And we ask our guests to say our tagline, if you will. It is, we'll show you our definition of success if you show us yours. We'll show you our definition of success if you show us yours. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much. Y'all are wonderful. I look forward to coming back. Just shoot me an email and um, we'll get it scheduled whenever you're ready. All right, well, enjoy your evening. I'll talk to you soon. You too, thank you. All right, bye.